I will be sharing a few words with you this morning from Job 38. And prior to these words in Job, Job has been spending quite some time questioning God, speaking to him, asking him why these things have happened to him, um, coming up with his own ideas as to why these horrible things have been part of his life, and just questioning everything that happens to him. And at some point, God says, hold on right there. Let me tell you what this is all about. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? With this powerful response that God makes to Job about what has happened to him and answering his question, God reminds Job with these words that he and he alone is worthy of our praise because of what he has done, because of who he is and continues to do. Job 40, verses 1 through 14, read this way. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like His? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor, and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. And then 42 verses 1 through 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. 
I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray together for Pastor Mike. Lord, these words in Job are difficult to read sometimes, Lord, because as suffering enters into our lives, we often shout back to you and want to know the reasons why everything happens and want to understand. And Lord, you alone are sovereign. You alone know all things. And we're reminded daily, Lord, that your ways are not our ways. So today, as Pastor Mike comes to share the meaning of these words, we ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would flow through him into our ears and into our hearts, that we would submit our whole lives unto you, the things that are good and the things that are bad, knowing that your mission in life, or in our life, is to make us holy and to make us more like you. So Lord, let our hearts be ready to receive what you would speak to us through Pastor Mike. In Jesus' name, amen. couple of preparatory remarks before we go right into the sermon. I want to uh, welcome the Reverend Tim Frazier, one of my brothers in ministry. Tim is a pastor at Bloomfield and Drakesville, is that right? And of course he married the lovely and talented Meredith Stanley who was part of your congregation growing up. So welcome them. Wave if you would. I'm glad you guys are here. It's uh, it's always, frankly, an honor and a privilege when um, your colleagues in ministry uh, get to preach to you or you get to preach to them. So I'm grateful that you guys are here. Price Squills squeezed some vacation days out, so thank you for coming. And I want to tell you one other thing by way of introduction. Um, I, I had the great pleasure yesterday of celebrating the first birthday of my grandson. It's exciting, but... but I tell you that because the world has changed. I, I come from a family of five, so there were three of us kids. I don't know if my mom's here today, but if somebody's near, get ready for her to cringe. When my mother would introduce us, she would often say, well, this is my son, Mark, and I also have a girl and then the other one. All right. <laughs> and so growing up, there were... Uh, I think I went back to the house and not, not counting the picture where my arm was in a picture of Mark. I think there's three pictures of me, you know, my baptism, my high school graduation, my wedding picture. So I think I, I got those three pictures. But I tell you that because when I went to little Titus's birthday party, the video of his first year was seven minutes long. <laughs> this kid doesn't have a job. He hasn't graduated from me. He doesn't do anything. We got seven minutes and, of course, some of his uncles were saying, well, how long is this video going to be at his fifth birthday party? We might have to have an intermission, you know. <clears throat> I kid, because I think it was the best waste of cake I've ever seen. It was fun. <laughs> have you heard of this thing they call the smash cake now? Well, that's just dumb. The, <laughs> you bake or buy a cake that the kid's just going to destroy and wear, and then you take them off to the bath. Yeah. Oh, so... It was cool. It was fun. It was great. It was great. I, I, I tell you that and then shift hard into fourth gear this way by saying, I started this month 
by telling you a very unattractive story of our reality. And the very unattractive story of our reality is this. Suffering is. Suffering is a part of our lives. It's a part of my life. It's a part of your life. It is simply part of the human condition that we suffer. Tim Keller is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He writes this. Listen to this. Tim Keller says, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we've put together a good life, no matter how hard we've worked to be healthy, wealthy, and comfortable with family and friends, and successful with our career, something will inevitably come by to ruin it. Are you wearing those clothes? Have you had some of that happen where, where something has come by your life to cause great difficulty? <clears throat> Most of us have because suffering is. Suffering is part of our human experience. And in the modern world, the world in which we live in, there's this approach to suffering that says it should not happen. Suffering shouldn't happen, but when it does, the world of business, the world of psychology has, have given us some buzzwords to work with. You need to learn how to cope with your suffering. You need how to manage your stress, your strain, your, 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 your trauma. You, you, need, you, you need to try to find ways to, to reduce it. You need to find the, these things. And we're counseled to avoid negative thoughts. We're counseled to, to, to buffer yourself. If, if things are really hard at work, take a little time for yourself. Take some time off. Get some exercise. Sit down with supportive friends. And of course, in all things, drink more water, right? That's the answer to all things, it seems like, in my generation. If you're stressed out, drink more water. If you're having heart surgery, drink more water. Whatever it is. But, but, but the world today, if you go on Amazon.com, if you go to, to Barnes & Noble, I don't know if they still sell books or just coffee anymore, but, but the, 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 the words today are, we need to learn to accept what we can't change and try to manage or cope with those other things. But the whole focus... The whole focus on, on, on books today, the whole focus on the kind of the self-help market is to focus on controlling your immediate and emotional responses to your environment, to, to what's going on around you. But you know, the, the scriptures that, that both Keith and Vicki read this morning and the wealth of the Old and New Testament, they, they have a different story than that. Because centuries of biblical Christianity go higher and they go deeper to furnish believers with resources to our very real and present sufferings. Because here's the beautiful thing about God. He knows. Suffering is. And suffering is in your life and mine. And so Christians must recognize and we must work on and learn to talk about to God and in faithful ways, are difficulties. Because the tendency in North American Christianity is to say, I'm okay. You've seen it a hundred times. Someone asks you, how you doing? Now, you might be bleeding from the arm that just got lopped off in a, in a farming accident, and you might be struggling with a lifelong battle with depression, but you will say, I'm okay. Because you're Iowa, you know. Iowa nice. So we're okay, we're okay. And people will say the same thing to you. You know for a fact someone's not okay. You say, how you doing? You say, I'm okay. You take it at face value. And I've been telling you for more than a decade now, 
that you need to be the church of the second question. When somebody says, well, I'm okay. You say, oh, great. Why are you okay? Why are things going for you so well? They might say, well, you know. And then the possibility for any growth or, or healing comes out. And within the church, and I hope we're not as guilty as I think we might be, And so often in the church, in our Bible studies, and maybe even in the preaching moments, we tend to talk more about positivity and victory in Jesus than we do how God helps us through the difficult things. Indeed, God is ultimately victorious in all things, and yet you and I, we don't just sail right through the troubles that come by our lives, do we? I met a woman years ago. She was a prayer leader at one of my churches. By prayer leader, I mean she was in charge of no group. She was a lady that came to the church most every day and prayed. Her name was Millie Dinert. You won't met her. She's already joined the church triumphant. But I remember her coming up, and she wasn't wagging her finger at me. She just wanted me to know something. She says, Pastor Mike, you need to know this. That's probably 25. She says, the best church, the most real church, the church people need, is a church where it's filled with people with bent knees because they know they need to humble themselves. It's it's a church filled with broken hearts because people know that they really are broken inside and they allow that to shine out. And it's a church filled with wet eyes because they're willing to cry for that which is real in their life and they're willing to stand beside others and cry. I thought, man, I can preach that sermon. What's the best in real church? A church that's filled with bent knees, broken hearts, and wet eyes. Because, of course, the fact of the matter is, from everything I've encountered in this many years, and you too, that suffering is. Suffering is part of our reality. It's unavoidable. We cannot evade it. And and I came by today to tell you too, and I I don't want to make light of this situation, but I also don't want to overweigh it too much. Your pastor has some struggles too. Maybe you've come upon this. This happened to me earlier this week. Now, I know that I'm in the top, like you, 1% or 2% of income earners in the world. I know I got here in a car. I'll get home in a car. I know the sanctuary is air-conditioned, maybe too air-conditioned for some of you. Not air-conditioned enough for most of us. But sometimes we walk into moments where we just simply say, too much, too much to carry, too difficulty, and while it's too difficult, but and while it's not really bowing you over, while it's not really physically pushing you down, in everything about you, I, I don't know how you react, but when I get like struggling, I know I don't, because I've asked people, I know I don't change my appearance, I just always look grumpy like this, you know, <laughs> but it feels like my face is tightened, I feel like somebody lit a firecracker, shoved it down my throat. And, and so, I was just having one of those days. Have you had one like that or something like that? Or have you had struggles like that? Sometimes that are long-lasting. Mine, praise God, was not. It was just stress. I mean, I still had a family that loved me, a church that cared for me, all those kind of things. But, but I, I, took, I took my leave about 5 o'clock that day, and I ran over, I drove over to the gym. And then I probably did something I don't know if I've ever done. I just said, I just need to be quiet. And so I sat down on the exercise bike and I closed my eyes. And I, I, I pedaled, you know, 
I didn't want somebody to walk by and say, well, this poor gentleman's, you know. But, but I started peddling. And I was listening to Christian music on, on, on the radio that I shoved into my ears. And, and it was weird. Or perfect. Or the way God usually moves is that there I was, worried and stressed out and, and feeling like I had too much to carry, which is, of course, not true, because God can carry everything I've got with less than a finger. But one song, two songs, three songs, four songs, five songs about what? How God helps you when you're suffering. I'm like, okay. I, I probably got it on the third song, but God knows me, so I can put well, one more. No, one more. You know, and so, and so, and I know I'm not so narcissistic that I think that was for me, although I think the message hit me. It did make me realize how much the collective us needs to hear that message that God pulls us up when we're down, puts us together when we're broken, heals our hearts, and yet does not take what's on our shoulders whether it be named stress of the job, family difficulties, some sort of illness, he doesn't pull that away from us, but allows us to have hope in the midst of it. See, when we pursue a revelation, and that's what I was in pursuit of. I was actually in pursuit of peace, but what God gave me through what was a revelation of himself, he revealed himself to me because while I would overstate it if I'd say the way I felt on Thursday was unbearable, but I would say to you that there's times when suffering is unbearable, and if you have unbearable suffering in your life, and you aren't certain that God is with you and for you, you are in trouble. Suffering is absolutely unbearable. To everybody I've ever met and known, if you're not certain that God's with you and for you, because the reality of suffering does not negate the reality that suffering comes in our life. It doesn't re- negate the reality of God as the sovereign ruler and master of all things. I've said this many times. No God, no answer. No God, no answer for the suffering that comes in your life at all. No God, no meaning in your life at all, because there's no ultimate, there's just you. That, that's it. And so when we took on at the beginning of July, and and I'll complete this series next week, this series on on Job, the opportunity that comes in front of us, I believe, because Job is a very simplistic book in actuality, even though it's 42 chapters long, it has about three different components to it. It has the stuff that comes upon Job, has Job's long lament, which is 30-some chapters, then it has God's response to Job and Job's response to God. But this gives us, this book of Job gives us the opportunity to say a good word about suffering. You hear me? A good word about suffering and how God works in our suffering and how God reveals himself to us through our suffering. So I just want to take the balance of my minute to say a few good words about suffering. First, the first revelation that we see in these scriptures is that God is absolutely sovereign. In chapter 38, you see this question. Vicky led our worship services with it. Basically says, is it me or was it you? This is God talking. Is it me or, or was it you? It's interesting that here Job has just gone through 36 chapters of yuckiness. Yeah, the calamity came to him. He's lost his seven kids. He lost everything he owned. He's scraping his scabs with a broken piece of pottery. He's sitting on a hill of poop. 
right? It's all burning up around him and he's lamenting and whining to God. Now, what does the God that you know come to a, a, a child of his like that in a moment like that. You know, you and I that have grown up with Swedish Jesus, you know, the white-haired, you know, blue-eyed Jesus that loves us and is so nice, would come to us and say, they're there. It's going to be okay. But I want to warn you about this God of ours. Because he starts with power. It's interesting that God comes to Job and says, brace yourself like a man. That doesn't sound like they're there. Everything's going to be okay. He says in chapter 38, and then again in chapter 40, brace yourself like a man. And he comes with power saying, is it me or was it you? He doesn't come with comfort. He says, where were you when I put all this together? Where were you when I was creating the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I was saying, water, stop right there, earth, stay right here? Where were you, or was it you, that said, this is the time of darkness, and this is the time of light? Who who did you call into existence? Have you done any of this? Is it me? Or was it you that did all that, Job? This is not sweet. This is not honey to the ears of the suffering, but it is the love of God. The finite creature who lacks the wisdom to create all things should not instruct or criticize the infinite God who has said and does. In chapter 40 that Keith read just a few moments ago, God says, and it's in there, will you correct me? Aren't we like that? We'd like to look at that. You know, we even make jokes. Well, God doesn't make perfect things. Wrong. Platypus is just like he wanted it. And so are you, incidentally. Think through that, regardless of what's roaming around in there for you. You're just like he wanted you. Will you correct me? God says, then if you are, if you're going to correct me, adorn yourself with glory. Show yourself to me. To be the powerful, all-knowing, infinite, supreme, omnipotent, omniscient being that I am. Show yourself to me. And if you can show me that, then unleash your fury and your wrath on me. This is what what God is saying to Job. Then, if you show me your glory, if you unleash your wrath on me, then I will admit that you can save yourself. Because that's all this is about. Job's lamenting of his situation He's criticizing God, doing some bad theology. And God says, if you can adorn yourself with glory, if you can unleash your wrath, then I'll admit that you can save yourself from this this mess. But God, of course, is saying, I don't think you can get there because if you would have, you would have long time ago, ago. And God's word to us in this chapter 40 basically comes down by saying this. You have no idea. You have no idea of what I'm capable for on good or on bad. You have no idea. You think you do, because you've seen a little bit about your little life, but you have no idea of how much blessing I can throw upon you or how much difficulty can come down the pike at you. The I am God reveals in our suffering that he is absolutely sovereign. This is the first thing we need to know in our suffering, that he is absolutely sovereign until we ascribe to him, until we ascribe to that he is the one and only, the great master of all things, that the glory should all go to him. We will be without hope because our only hope is in us. 
And I got to tell you, anybody that felt like I felt Thursday afternoon, and that is nowhere close to the worst I've ever felt, is not the Savior of the world. Any of you have ever felt that moment where you say, I don't know what to do with this? You are not God. So we ascribe all majesty. We ascribe all glory to the one and only. Second, revelation, the second revelation that comes in this text is that God often grows our faith through suffering. Hallelujah. Right? How about we just grow through blessing? Well, you need more than that. And so do I. So God will often grow our faith through suffering. Now, in the secular view, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life. It's always seen as an interruption. Things are going great on a linear fashion. Everything is going wonderful in my life. And bang, suffering comes up. And it disrupts. It knocks to train off the track of our lives. And we see that when we're Christian, we know that that comes to us in a different way. I know that Keith and I could tell you about this for a long time. And I'll ask you this question. Just you yourself. How often in your life has someone come to you and said something like this? I grew closest to God when everything in my life was going perfectly. You ever have that? After a child is seven, I've never had that. I've never had that from anybody older than seven. I really don't think that I have. It's more likely like this. C.S. Lewis, who died a half century or so ago, great writer, came to Christ. Incidentally, who we probably would have never heard of as a Christian writer if he hadn't had a lot of pain in his life, a lot of suffering in his life. He says, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. My experience is, I'm not saying it's fun, I'm just saying it's true. My experience is that God uses suffering to display his work in us. He puts his work alive as a show, as a display in our lives. Because we know this, suffering can uncover what is really inside our hearts. We know who's and who we are when we begin to suffer. Suffering can, can break us from our pride because we realize we're not as good maybe as we, we thought we were. Suffering can deepen our desire for God. Suffering can mature us, can bring us up past our own self, self-imposed self things. God, God, suffering can, can breed humility in us. Suffering can jumpstart our prayer lives. Suffering can prompt a lost person. To receive Jesus Christ. I've seen that more than a few times. When people knew they were found when they were young, got themselves lost, took themselves on a long journey, but then in the midst of suffering said, I need that peace that passes understanding. And it can only come from God. Suffering can can lead a Christian to confess sin. Suffering can, can deepen our trust in God. Suffering can deepen our appreciation and our need for Scripture. Sometimes you and I both... Have you ever had this? When you're just having some sort of mud storm in your life, I've had this more times than a few, and I just open the Bible, and I start reading Scripture, and it's not like directly applicable to what I'm going through at the moment, but I really do feel the wash of peace coming over me and feeling like God is directing me to where I was going. Man, if you haven't had this, try this. But suffering can, can heighten our, our appreciation. It can deepen our appreciation for Scripture. Suffering can, can help us appreciate others who've been victorious. We have in our, our nomenclature, uh, our, our vernacular in, in, in this part of the world, the term cancer survivor. Some of you are that. Others of you know that. 
The reason that we love that term is because someone close to us has survived a, a thing and it's inspiring to others that might be walking towards it. And suffering can help us appreciate those folks who have been through suffering. Suffering can take our eyes off ourselves and and look towards God and His world. Suffering can teach us firsthand that God alone is truly sufficient. Suffering can connect us with other people that have similar scenarios or situations like we are. Suffering can create an opportunity for us to give witness or for us to receive witness. Suffering can lead a person into Christian ministry. I've met more than a few that, that went that way. Suffering can make us grateful for what we have. Or what we still have. Remember what Job says at the beginning? Everything I had is from God. Everything I'll ever have is from God. Stuff comes, stuff goes. Suffering can position our lives to bring more glory to God. We know the scripture. All of us that are adults know at least seven or eight scriptures. And one of them is this. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Suffering can work together for God's good. For those who know the Lord, who are called according to His purpose, God uses his, our suffering to display His work in us. God can make things come alive in us in the midst of our junk, in our difficulties. And it's always on His timeline, which is the part we don't like, right? I don't think Job dug that long time sitting on the dung heap. I don't think Job liked that time when his friends were just sitting with him, staring at him. I don't think he enjoyed the time when his wife says, you know, it'd be better off for you to curse God and die. I don't think he liked it when his friends said, what did you do wrong to deserve all this? It's always these blessings on God's timeline. And suffering, and this is important for us to live. If you you can write anything down from these notes, get this next one. Suffering is actually at the heart of the Christian story. It is absolutely the heart, the center of the Christian story. I'll prove that to you in just a minute. But let me give you some, some, some pieces, some pages to get you there. If you look at the story of Job, what's at the center of it? Suffering. You look at the story of David, what's at the center of it? Suffering. David gets anointed king of the Jews, and then he has to run for his life for a long time. Look at the story of Jeremiah the prophet. How, how would you love this? Jeremiah is told by God, go preach a message that for your whole life is going to be righteous and true and no one is ever going to listen to it. Pastor Keith and I would not have followed our call, I don't believe, if God said, Mike, you're going to go, Keith, you're going to go into these congregations and you're going to preach for years and years and years and not one single soul ever is going to listen to you. Now, I know there's been times I see the head bobs where some of you aren't listening as well as you could be which is why we've got it turned down to 42 degrees in here this morning. <laughs> but, but, but Jeremiah is told, you're going to be mocked, you're going to be weeping, you're going to be the laughingstock of your community, and not one ever is going to listen to you. That is a story of suffering. And then, understand how, how central suffering is to to the Christian church, we, we had a grandma bring her grandchild to Bible school. And I'll tell you what, it, it is one of the most blessed chaos and mayhems I've ever 
be, it was called, what was it called? Master Fun May- Factory. I called it uh, May- the mayhem of Master Fun Factory this year because it was just massive. It was just fun. All these pews in here were full of little children. And one of them before the songs start, because that's kind of what we do at the beginning of the morning. Uh, Grandma was holding her little daughter, who's not a church person, was getting her dose of Christianity for the year because her parents don't bring her to church. And of course she pointed there and said, Grandma, why do we keep looking at the big T? It's the people we reach to, by the way. It's the people we want here. That's people we want to reach to, but, but let's clarify this. That's not a T. That's the cross of Jesus Christ at the heart, at the heart of our faith is brutality, suffering, murder. That is the heart of our faith, is the cross of Jesus Christ, the suffering of Christ. I've been having my confirmation interviews over the last few weeks, and it was blessed testimonies because they are unbridled by experience. And I had one little girl tell me the other day, she said, Pastor Mike, I loved the crucifixion at summer games. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a display. It's three young men, two of them are from our church. You'll hear a little bit about that later someday. So they knew who was up there. But she said, you know, it was good to see because our cross is so fancy It's so fancy in the sanctuary that standing there looking at those three men on the cross took the fancy out of it. And it made Jesus' suffering real to me. And it grew me closer to God. If for a moment we can take the fancy off the cross that we wear here or on our tattoos or on our earrings are on our necks, if we can take the fancy and see the heart of our faith is the suffering of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't stop at the suffering. See, we're a Methodist church, so our cross is always empty because we know that he got down off that cross and ascended into heaven and showed us the glory that you can go straight through the valley of the shadow of death and you never go alone. You always walk with you. Suffering is always partnered with the Lord God who's displaying his glory in your life. But that does not remove it from our lives. Let the fancy be taken off the cross and let your faith grow. The third revelation we see in this scripture is that humility and repentance always often lead us to submit ourselves to God. They call us to bow down rather than to strike out in suffering. The wounded's nature is to fight. That's what's happening. That's what Job does. God starts speaking to him, or things start happening to him, and Job starts fighting with God. But then in Psalm 46, he starts to see God, not just himself. And he says, Surely I spoke of these things I do not understand that were too wonderful for me to understand. You said, Listen, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My eyes have heard, but now my ears have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Seeing God, knowing him, will bow us down in repentance and humility. And let me take you home with this. You don't really know God until God's all you have. One of my friends says that different. That's somebody else's quote, but you don't really know God 
until all you know is God. I think that I, I don't think that's my friend. I actually think that's Mother Teresa. I, I admire her, but I don't think she's my friend. There's no way to know whose you are really until you've been tested. Really, really tested. Not just a bad day. But really, really, really tested. Because when you're tested and you've thrown your whole thing on God, you'll know this, what I know and what so many of us here know, that the only love that won't disappoint you, the only one that can't change, can't be lost, is not based on the ups and downs of life or how well you live or what you have or what you're trying to aspire. It is something that not even can be knocked out of you by your death, that can be taken away by anything, is God's love for you. It's the only thing like that. It's the only thing that can carry you through and you really don't know God until that's all you need and that's all you have and this is what God reveals to us in our suffering and so when you're suffering of course first acknowledge your suffering reach out to the people that you know but seek the God who never lets go of you who never puts you aside and who will not who will not who will not ever, 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 ever let you down, even in the midst of all this, when we look into him. I pronounce these words to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.